This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 470 for Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. Thank you ever so much to everyone on the Patreon who supports the show and we are recording live in the Discord. So now if you are a member of the Patreon, you can join the Discord. Uh, This goes for anybody in my personal Discord as well. You can join and listen to the show live. Uh, We don't record at the exact same time every week, but you can keep an eye on the announcements channel and find out when that's happening. And any extras that might be recorded will also be available to our patrons. So that's at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Lots of great stuff there to check out. And uh, it's going to be a good time. We are experimenting with some new things. And I, I'm, I'm happy about it. <laughs> the chuckle you are hearing, as you might recognize, is from Stephen ESC, who is back. You can find Stephen on Twitter and Twitch as Stephen ESC. That's Stephen with a PH. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a kind of a wonky week, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I don't know if you can speak to this because you work full-time from home, but you are not self-employed, where I right. am self-employed and work time full-time from home. And I've had a slow week in a good way in that I have had this weird phenomenon called free time. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with it. Like I am, I am pulled in seven different directions. There was like two or three new video games that hit Game Pass this week. I bought one because Borderlands 3 was on sale for something like $15 on Xbox. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll try that on Xbox to see if I can complete that game. And I also got a new book, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And I just, I, I, I have unfortunately, and I say this with remorse, spent too much time on my phone, too much time mm. on social media. Long lunch break leads to an hour of watching TikTok. I gained yep. nothing from that. I was entertained. There were some cute dogs, but like I just I regret the decision to even open the app sometimes. And so I'm going to be making an effort, I think, in the future to try and remedy that. But yeah, like it's it's I also feel guilty for having free time and essentially doing nothing. And I'm not sure whether this happens for you because I know you're very, very busy, but when you do have free time. Do you ever feel guilty about doing nothing when maybe nothing is what you need, even though you don't, your brain is like, I feel guilty for not using my free time to do something that I enjoy. I don't feel guilty about doing nothing because I've over the years have kind of realized I need that sometime. It's like that I need that to recharge. So I allow myself to do that. But I also get to the point where I feel like, okay, I've done the nothing thing for a while now. I should be more productive. But then I feel like I've got what do they call it? Choice paralysis or whatever. We're like, I could do this, but I know before I do this part of the project I want to do, I have to do these three other things and I don't have enough time to do those three other things. And then, so it just feels like, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm good at talking myself <laughs> out of <laughs> being able to do them. But I, I, I do find sometimes that, okay, overall, I, I love having downtime and I, and I do intentionally give myself periods of time to do nothing, but then 
yeah i I do find that i I have a hard time kicking myself into gear to actually kind of get to those projects i find that i have a hard time drawing a line between stuff that i want to play and enjoy or watch and enjoy and then like do i like what should i watch to talk about on the citadel cafe instead of what should i watch for me you know like what Mm. should i uh you know what series you want to catch up on uh what uh video game like if it's a video game like for example i i was thinking like oh i'm really i've seen a lot of videos about like starfield and no man's sky and space stuff i really should try to play some more starfield and then immediately backpedal to think well i've been streaming that maybe i should wait and stream that but then i'm also not really enjoying that game all that much and i can feel the dark eeyore cloud come over me when i'm streaming which is not like what i like to present uh when i when i stream so i ended up dialing back but then just like you said choice paralysis like i've got uh, a a small lunch break you know like an hour hour and a half and i want to watch something well do i want to watch something that's an hour do i want to watch something that's a half an hour you know like do i want to watch something more informative like is this going to be me watching some minecraft videos or you know watching some video game review content that i'm going to find interesting and um, knowledge i will use or do i want to watch like a half an hour cartoon or an hour-long drama well cue the funnel that we fall down on social media (laughs) and i talked about this a little bit on on the uh, render distance on the sponge chunks this week with johnny in that i have another streaming service that i've subscribed to which i guess is relevant for the citadel cafe as well now is that uh paramount plus i'm i took the three the free six day trial seven day trial from apple um i think i might have mentioned this to you via um text briefly but essentially for anybody that's wondering if you're on any kind of apple device if that's what your home is or if you're on a box that doesn't have a native paramount plus app like i am with an xbox there is no paramount plus app on the xbox then the best way to subscribe is via apple tv plus because you can then watch on any of the other platforms that apple tv plus is available on if you subscribe to paramount plus as an add-on through prime you can only watch it through prime well prime is limited to like your tv and maybe your desktop like you don't really have a lot of options there uh and uh i tried to subscribe to the website paramount plus and thought i will do that sign in anywhere and then i'll be able to sign in to apple or prime or like wherever and then just it doesn't matter where i am i'll be able to take part in my prime uh my um paramount plus subscription these names drive me nuts by the way everything's got a plus at the end of it like it's just absolutely infuriating anyway uh turns out that's not how that works when you sign up to paramount plus through apple apple bills you separately it's the same price but apple bills you separately so then i had two invoices Hmm. one for 10 bucks from paramount and one for 10 bucks from apple or pending because apple doesn't charge you until the seven day free trial is over so i had to email paramount and be like hey so i just signed up through your confusing lack of app and lack of you know apple tie-in thing on uh xbox uh i don't want two subscriptions i just want the one uh please refund my website subscription which is you know kind of a hit to you is like by the way whatever you're paying apple like they're getting their cut (laughs) instead of me paying you paramount plus the full 10 bucks um they're getting the cut because you don't have an app and the the way that the sign up was was misleading to paramount plus's credit they emailed me back with like within the hour at like eight o'clock at night on a friday oh nice 
Yeah. This decision to sign up was basically my pizza was hot and I wanted something to watch. <laughs> and, and, and and what I wanted to watch. Uh, food fuel decisions are never the best. Oh, <laughs> man. And it's just like, but it should be this kind of stuff streaming. The advertising for streaming is that it should be that simple. You sign up, you pay, you sign in, you're good to go. Like start mm-hmm. movie, you know, and it was not that. Uh, I eventually did sit down and watch some stuff and it was great. But uh, and to their credit, they refunded me right away that the charge never actually went through. They basically said, like, look, because you were so quick on this, we've just voided the, the charge. It will not show up on your credit card bill. It might show as a pending charge until the banks catch up, but like it just won't right. show up. So they email, right. emailed me back. They took care of it. I thought, OK, fine. Um, and there's enough on Paramount Plus that I will want to watch, I think, for at least a month. Um, but that adds like another thing that I'm paying for. They've got enough good stuff on there for me as well that I, I, I didn't subscribe like for longer than a month, but I feel like there's enough stuff on there that's interesting that would warrant me every once in a while going, you know what? You know, that show is like, yeah, that show is caught up and there's a full season there now. I'll pay the 10 bucks and then almost cancel it right away. But so you know that you have enough time to watch that show. Like it seems to have a fairly good selection of shows and movies on it to warrant doing that every once in a while. It does. And I want to catch up on Star Trek. And that's where now all of the Star Trek lives. And that was yep. my main motivation is that instead of paying $20 for Crave, which is a crappy app, it's not a good experience. <laughs> it's way more than I want. I really just subscribing to Crave at the time was for Picard season three. But now there's Strange New Worlds, there's Below Decks, there's uh, the rest of Discovery. If I ever decided to be in the mood for Sad Whisper Trek again, then like it, I can go back and watch those. There's also the new seasons of Yellowstone and there's a new one called The Lion or The Lioness with Zoe Zeldana that looks really good. So there's a bunch of stuff like that that's there. And so that, that, like you said, is worth it. And I have to remind myself that the thing that you can do where you can subscribe to the service wait for the bill to go through and then unsub the next day and your yeah. and your, subscri- your subscription will last the 30 days and then just stop and rather than like oh i forgot to unsubscribe and now i've paid for another month so i might as well you know just stay on the like that kind of stuff and i'm gonna have to do it more and more because prime video is adding an ad tier as right. it as is disney plus Mm-hmm. Now the Disney plus ad tier is like really low. It's like five or ten, six bucks. Uh, and then the other tiers though are getting a price increase of like $3. So instead of being 1199 for Disney plus or 1099, it's going to be like 1299 in Canada. And they've tied that to there's a, uh, an HD version. And then there's a 4k version, which is what I would probably yeah. want for the star Wars and stuff that I watch. So I'm going to be subscribing with my big TV to some of the more expensive, you know, ends of things. That's why I spend $24 a month on Netflix is because it's the 4K Dolby digital versions of things, which right. is worth it for some stuff, you know, like for some movies and some presentations, it's it's worth it for sure. Uh, nature documentaries on Netflix and 4K are stunning. Like it's, it's really, really cool. Mm, yeah. So um, I'm going to have to start curbing what I'm subscribing to and how often I'm keeping them going. Um, not yeah. all services do what Disney does. Like Ahsoka is wrapping up this week and then Loki starts tomorrow. Right. So like there's always something to watch. It seems on Disney plus, uh, whereas things like, well, prime, I'm never going to get rid of because of the shipping, but, right. but the, um, things like Netflix and things like, um, I want to say Apple TV, but it's more likely Paramount will come and go as you mentioned. 
um but yeah so that's there's i'm in this space of like there's just so much to subscribe to and it's getting convoluted and it shouldn't be this hard to find out where something is streaming um and i find it's getting more and more granular have you noticed that in what sense brand new movie come out john wick 4 and you're like cool where is that streaming nowhere except for this very specialized service that's now like oh. an add-on on prime it's like how is john wick not captured by one of the big ones like it's not netflix it's not prime yeah. video it's not apple tv plus or paramount like how does it just not land in one of those big nets you know and um that was one of the reasons i subscribed to paramount is because a couple of the more recent movies from the summer were on the paramount app instead of other places where you think they would be um and i think part of it is that things differ obviously from us to canada and around the world as well but then also franchises that used to be on netflix are now separating themselves in the same way that star trek used to be well star trek is netflix i think worldwide still for at least a certain amount of time but then it's slowly all being folded into paramount plus and because that's obviously the parent you know production company and as these production companies get their own services or their own channels within services, it starts to get more granular and it starts to be harder to right. find the things that you want. You just always seem to like, well, I really want to watch this recent movie. Like, it's wonderful that Netflix has a huge catalog, but it's all old in a lot of places, you know? Yeah, there's, there's a service that I use um, online. I'd, it's been a while, so I'd forgotten about it, but there's one, uh, it's called justwatch.com. Okay. And and basically, you type in the show that you want to watch or the movie you want to watch, and it will show you the streaming, uh, the streaming services that carry what you're looking for. And I think it it's been a while since I looked at it, but I I think you know some of the cookies that it uses will actually kind of help pinpoint your location, so it's not going to give you, you know, how to watch Transformers in Australia or something like that. It'll actually do it for, uh, I think it's regionally specific. So it's it's a pretty good site. It's a uh, you can get an app for your phone as well. But yeah, it was. It was the last time I used it, it was pretty good. So justwatch.com. You know what? I think this is something that I've seen before in a quick Google search. I didn't spend much time looking at the site, but I ended up, you know, finding other other things. But yeah, like this, if you can do anything regionally, then I think that that really, really helps. Um, something that I, I don't think we have access to at all in Canada is Hulu, unless it's an extra right. thing through Prime Video. I seem to remember conversations with Lou saying that because they have access to hulu that was kind of like the well if it's not on netflix or disney or prime then it's definitely on hulu it was kind of like his yeah. I, if i remember correctly kind of his kind of like problem solving situation so he never had to go down <laughs> the rabbit hole yeah well it does look like it's regionally specific i, I typed in schitt's creek uh, and it brought up the cbc app so that's pretty cool nice right on yeah that's cool so speaking of stuff that we've been watching and taking in and, and things that are unfolding this week, I do want to cover a, a few little things, uh, especially pointing back towards the Spawn Trunks podcast, which is all about Minecraft, the one that I do with Pixel Rips. Uh, as of today, there are two of the three mobs that are up for the mob vote in this year's Minecraft Live mm. happening on October 15th. Have you seen these? I bring this up because I want to know your take on them because I'll be talking about them on the show on Monday with, with Johnny. But uh, we have the crab. Yes that will shed a claw, uh, allowing the player to place blocks farther away. Uh, and then the armadillo, which drops scoots and will allow the player to make armor for their pet wolves or dogs. So um, have you seen the cute little animation videos that have been put out? I have. It's tough because I would like, I think they're both great ideas. 
I love the uh, the idea of being able to armor up one of your your dogs. I think that's pretty cool. It'd be cool if you could armor up your cat as well. Just you know, ch- choose your <laughs> furry pet of choice and armor them up. I think that's pretty great. But I'd I'd love to be able to. It's too bad you can't sort of experience the actual mechanics before you vote because yes. you're being able to place a block far away with the crab. You're like, yeah, that sounds fantastic, and you go, then you get it, and you can only place it one block further than usual. Like, what is, what's the point of that kind of thing? Yep. Um, it's tough. I, I've I've seen them though. I, I do like the cute little animations. So last year, something that I remember is that there's five videos there's the intro hey we're going to tell you about these this week there's the tuesday wednesday thursday video each revealing the new mob and then the final wrap-up video on friday sometimes reveals a little bit more information as they kind of say oh remember the crab it does this this and this and the armadillo does Mm. this and this and so sometimes you get a little bit of extra now on top of that i believe last year there was a minecraft.net article that actually expanded even farther on the possibilities that would be available and i I have your same reservations. I wish they were not so vague about this stuff. But the other thing is that last year we got snapshots almost immediately after Minecraft Live. And so I don't remember when the sniffer came into the snapshots. It wasn't right away, but it was shortly thereafter. So rather than having a flushed out idea of the crab or the armadillo, they have a concept and then they get the votes from the fans and that gets voted into minecraft uh, via minecraft live but then over the next couple of months they flush out all the different ideas like what else the crab could do or what else the armadillo could do or be or whatever like armor for cats like that kind of a thing right like that's the kind of feedback that you'd get from the public and that they would consider and so it, it is a bit more of a back and forth. Um, but uh, yeah, I so far, I'm just like, I, they're cool. Uh, Johnny predicted on the show, not this week, but the week before that, whatever the mobs were, they were not going to break the bank. Like they were going to be cool, but they're not going to be like game changing because Mojang right. wants the game changing stuff to be a little bit more under their control with like the releases. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, mob number three will be revealed tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be Thursday the 5th at 12 p.m. Atlantic. That's UTC minus three hours. And uh, Pixel Riffs and I will have a full discussion of the mob vote candidates coming up on Monday's episode of the Spawn Chunks. And then on Sunday, October 15th, both Pixel Riffs and I will be covering Minecraft Live, uh, their presentation on twitch.tv slash Pixel Riffs, which we have done for the last several years. So if you're interested in checking that stuff out live, by all means, follow the Spawn Chunks uh, across social media and on your favorite podcatcher um, we release all that kind of stuff automatically so if you don't catch it live you can watch the youtube video we have all that kind of stuff actually one of our minecraft live coverage videos on the spawn chunks youtube channel was the first video of ours to reach a million views which was really cool oh nice yeah people just really like those live reaction videos you know so i've got a couple of things that i want to talk about in terms of my my nerdiness at the top of the show here i am just starting but very much enjoying making it so by patrick stewart oh right i just received my copy yesterday it was released i, I pre-ordered it back in april as a birthday gift to myself uh, this is uh sir patrick stewart's memoir and it is really good so far it uh is a little over 400 pages it's available in hardcover and kindle audiobook and of course, Stuart reads the audiobook. I was really <laughs> tempted, Good. really tempted to buy the audiobook. I may still, because it might be worth a reread and it might be worth like doing that, like on a walk to the gym or, you know, road trip or something like that. 
Well, it'd be extra interesting because not only would you get the story again, but you'd get you would get his intonations and his emphasis on different parts that he like. You you would basically get it relayed to you how he wishes it was relayed to you, not just in words. That'd be pretty great. Well, here's the thing. Even though I'm only, you know, a handful of pages in, I read for about a half an hour, 45 minutes this morning, and he writes the way he speaks, the way he tells stories. Mm. And so already, if you've listened to an interview with him in the last 12 months, then you can absolutely hear his voice in your head as you read this book. So in that way, I don't really feel that I'm I'm missing out much from the audio book. I, I still, it's going to be on my list of maybe something that I, I might pick up, but um, when it's just, it's when it's the same price as the book book, I was like, well, I, this just struck me as a thing that I wanted to have. It's a hardcover. Yeah. When I do biographies or memoirs, I do like to get the hardcover. It just, it has a nice hardcover book smell, like just all this kind of stuff. And I posted yeah. on, on Instagram this morning, uh, after a while ago, I saw, I think it was a clip on TikTok actually of, um, Sir Patrick Stewart on Colbert, uh, the late show talking about how he starts every day reading not the news. It's a book. doesn't matter what kind of book. He just, it's a book. And he spends some time in the morning with a cup of tea reading every day. And I thought that's a really good idea to just not jump right on your phone, to not get on the computer, to not sit down in front of the TV when you're having breakfast. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to give this a go. I've got just the book to start with. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kicked it off with, with making it so by Patrick Stewart. We'll have a link in the show notes. And, um, again, like I've not read enough of it to recommend, so far, I mean, obviously I'm a fan anyway, but I will absolutely report back after I have read more on the show because mm-hmm. it's not very often I get to bring books in because I, I, I sometimes read sci-fi and fantasy novels, but a lot of what I read ends up being nonfiction or outside stuff that don't fit the Citadel Cafe kind of expectations. So this, this fits right. in quite nicely with what we talk about on the show. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, something that might be of interest to you is Creations Volume 3 uh, by Derek Lofman. Uh, Derek Lofman has a Kickstarter on right now for his third art book. It's a collection of his personal artwork launched yesterday. It's already funded, so there's no risk. If you want to get a copy, you can just continue to fund the campaign and a copy will come to you when they are out. Uh, the campaign is set to close on the 31st. I have Volumes 1 and 2 on my shelf. They are delightful, colorful, and they mm. have a really unique style. Uh, very much something that has influenced me when I was doing some artwork earlier in my career. Uh, Derek is a, a bit of an industry friend. I've had him on the Comics Coast to Coast podcast three times, I think, over the course of my tenure there. Uh, episodes 272, 299, and 332. And you can get more of Derek's work at DerekLoffman.com. Uh, and Stephen, if you are tempted at all, then uh, let me know and you can borrow one and two if you want to flip through them if you think that three might be up your alley then um, sure let me know because i know that as as a designer and as a, as an artist like you also appreciate like the tangible thing to be able to like to hold the book and see the thing and see the layout and all that kind of stuff just let me know because they just they sit on my shelf i've read them a couple of, well read them they're, they're picture books they're just they're sketchbook yeah. collections but i've leaved through them a number of times and so nice. they just they sit there and i loan them out to yeah. people from time to time i think peyton had them for a little while as well and so yeah so i'm I'm very much feeling the books right now that's what's kind of been nice. been new with me what's new with you <laughs> in the last little while i've been sort of uh trying my hand at creating my first font typeface and it's um it's sort of been on my graphic designer bucket list for a while. I feel like, you know, not, not I don't need to be, you know, to have created a f- typeface to be a graphic designer, but it just feels like it's one of those things that would be really cool because you'd be, 
taking the time and crafting this collection of little shapes and symbols that, you know, it, it's basically designing a tool that people could use day to day. And I've just been, it's been on my mind a lot in the last little while. And so I decided to give it a go. And it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's more mentally all consuming than I ever thought it would be. Like, it's just uh, like, I've, I've, I've fallen asleep obsessing about the shape of the lowercase N <laughs> just trying to get it right. Because it's like, I got the O looking the way I wanted to. It's like, fantastic. Let's move on to the N. And, you know, you don't really notice all the nuances of an N right away, but it's like, it's like the, okay, this will sound silly, but the, the, the right hand vertical line that goes up and then curves to the left, it's actually thicker there in the top right hand corner. And I never, I feel like I knew that, but never really paid attention to it in like a huge amount of detail. And so then I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, either way, without getting into like the crazy detail of it, but just how do I create this end so it looks good? So that I can rotate it 180 degrees and it will work as a U and then also translate over to an H and other things. And then, and then, and still have it look like it's part of the rest of the alphabet. It was just like, for whatever reason, that N was just like my nemesis for like, for two weeks almost. And it's ridiculous to think that I spent that long on a letter, but, but yeah, I just wanted to make a, a typeface. It's probably not going to be the most elegant typeface right out of the gate. I just want to kind of create one that's a probably a little bit more. You know, it takes takes more practical considerations into mind. Like I'd like it to be, you know, letter sizes that meet accessibility recommendations, like the the proportions of them, mm -hmm. and then um, kind of make sure that the thick and thins follow the accessibility guidelines for Canada, so that I don't create something that looks, you know, really nice and elegant, but it's too thin, so people can't use it for body copy and stuff like that. So I'm being, I'm giving myself all of these parameters to work within. So they're kind they're kind of restrictions on some level, but they're also, they basically, they make it easier for me to kind of create something right off the bat. It's not like I have this blank, blank canvas where I can do anything I want to. So it's almost de like debilitating. There are so many options. It's like, no, I, I have to work right within this, the accessibility and legibility kind of framework that I've given myself. So it's, it's, yeah, it'll be a little less elegant, I think, or it's starting off that way anyway, but then it's, I think I'll kind of probably try to tweak and stuff over the probably the months to come that I'm still working on it, but it's, it's, uh, it's proving to be a pretty fascinating endeavor. I'm uh, really enjoying it. So nice. I, uh, I've only ever created a, a font of my own hand printing for comics, right? Because it became a lot easier and faster to letter balloons for my star crossed comic back when I was doing that with a font that resembled my handwriting and, or hand printing, I guess. And that's a different beast though, because that's, all capital letters and so the only real challenges within that were just making sure things were legible at different sizes and that i had a consistent spacing i can't remember what the term is around the periods and the commas like i had to make sure that when i did something with a comma that it didn't have too much space between the word before it and a, you know or after it like the kerning yeah the kerning on it yeah uh, and so some of the letters were challenging, but because they were block printing, it, it seemed to work out pretty well. Like it, it wasn't something that I had to worry about too much. Uh, I think what I ended up doing was if I wanted to bold something, I ended up instead of making a bold part, 
like version of the font, I would just break up the text in Photoshop and then uh, do like an edit stroke on it. And then oh, yeah. it would end up kind of like making itself bold. But before I did that, I'd have to increase the kerning, of course, to space the letters out so they didn't bleed into each other when they were printed. Because working digitally, and you might find this as well, working on your own font, you get zoomed in on something and you're like, mm-hmm. now see in Photoshop, I was in raster, but you'd probably be working in vector, I'd imagine. And absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, but I'd be in there like trying to get things to look right. And then I'd zoom out and realize, oh, wow, like that's really close together. It felt like it was far apart when I was working on it. But then when I zoomed out, it's like, no, that's all touching one another. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense visually at all. Would you build an actual like the digital font file, you can actually build things into it called kerning pairs. So you actually go through your alphabet and you say, okay, this is the A and the B together. Let's space it accordingly. Okay, cool. This is the A and C. And then you basically go through and you create all of these these properly spaced pairs of letters so that when they're typed out into, you know, w- words and sentences, then you, you've already at least done preliminary work to make sure that everything's spaced relatively properly. When you, When you get into things like a title, what you may have spaced for small legible text just looks ridiculously wide open. So you'd have to, to take care of that manually. But yeah, so it's one I haven't I haven't played with kerning pairs yet, but I know that's something I'm going to have to do. I want to say it's Nate Picos. I'm struggling to remember his online handle. I'm Googling it right now. But Nate Picos is uh, someone else we had on Comics Coast to Coast. He's a comic letterer mm. and he absolutely has like all kinds of stuff like lettering pairs and kerning pairs and like he he talked about all that kind of stuff because he's talking about all the different kind of like showy fonts that would be used in a comic book for like balloons and sound effects and all that kind of stuff blambot b-l-a-m-b-o-t i'm sure i've said this before right. you probably yes, as soon as yes. you get there you'll probably recognize it yeah i i know the name i yeah i forgot about it but i remember as soon as you said it i remembered Moving on to email, we have a listener email this week from Lord Valor, a Cafe Barista member of our Patreon, and the subject is, it's spooky season. Hey, Joel and Steven, every October, my roommates and I prioritize watching horror movies through the month of October. So far, we have watched Alien from 1979 and Aftermath from 2021. Horror is something I've recently begun to enjoy, so I understand both sides of hating it and loving it. Do you prioritize watching horror movies in October or is horror a genre you steer away from? What is your experience with horror movies and do you have a horror movie suggestion? Thanks for the great podcast. The Citadel Cafe has been entertainment for me throughout high school and now also in my final year of university. Keep it up, Lord Valor. Nice. P.S. Here are some of my top horror films for anyone interested. Number one, The Blair Witch Project. Number two, Us. Number three, Cabin in the Woods. Number four, Get Out. And number five, Candyman. And that's 1992. (laughs) There was no other years because I was struggling to remember when the Blair Witch Project came out. That was like late 90s, early aughts, because I think I was at Mount A when that came out. I feel like that was... It's hard to remember because Mount A used to have these little um, Toonie movies. So midnight on Friday, there'd be a movie shown at the local movie house. And we're talking like small town, one theater, one screen movie house. Right. And so it cost two bucks. Great thing to do, especially in the first year university when people were not old enough to get into the bars. So it was kind of a fun thing to do on a Friday night. And I'm absolutely positive the Blair Witch Project played there at some point. But I don't know whether that would have been like when it was released in that realm or whether it was much later. Uh, looks like 1999 is when Blair Witch Project came out. So that's awesome. Mm. Uh, I, my memory was right. <laughs> uh, <Nice>. Yeah. <laughs> so that would have been about the mid- yeah, that would have been mid-university for me because I would have started in 97. 
I'm going to defer to you because I, I know I've mentioned horror on the show before, so I don't want to retread too much. But like, where do you land on on horror films? I'm not a huge fan of gore. Um, just looking at at Lord Valor's list there, like I have, it's funny that I haven't seen any of those things on the list. But from what I I remember or what my my impressions of them, and I, I could be wrong, but the first four, I don't think those led me to believe that they're going to be super gory so i've been sort of wanting to see them i haven't i I feel like i'm one of the only people on the planet who haven't seen the blair witch project but um but candy man was one of those ones like say candy man in the mirror three times and he's supposed to show up behind you with the hook hand or something like that right so then that automatically was like well people are gonna die bloodily you know in a bloody fashion due to a hook uh so that one really never appealed to me but the it's funny the other four there I've sort of been on my my in my sort of interest radar, but I've never actually never actually seen them. So um I, I guess to get back to your question in the email, Lord Lord Valor, I don't typically go looking for horror movies um ever. Like uh, not even around um Halloween time. That said, uh my wife and I have always been a huge fan of vampire shows and movies, so not that I have any great ones that are my my favorite but i I do like the underworld series storyline wise they're not necessarily obviously very profound but stylistically they're very very cool and then you know now that i'm saying it we we have watched a few zombie shows in the last little while but i think the zombie shows and and movies it's it's (laughs) it's like if it reaches a point where it's too gory or or too hopeless seeming then we just stop watching it yeah um Zombieland. I'm not sure if you've seen Zombieland one or two, but that was like had a huge comedic aspect to it as well. So it was a lot of eye rolly moments that just didn't seem realistic, but they were sort of entertaining zombie movies. So we were able to make it through that. But then there's another TV show, uh, All of Us Are Dead. It's a, Kore- a Korean TV show where it, it seemed really interesting and was fairly good, but it's also fairly gory and it f- left us feeling pretty hopeless. Like the outcome is going to be pretty grim after one or two episodes. We sort of, sort of died off. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily have any recommendations, uh, unfortunately, for you. But um, yeah, not something we sort of move towards in, in the Halloween time. I think we, yeah, I, I think in your notes you mentioned Ghostbusters, which is something that we we have done in the past. But and Ghostbusters for me is spooky, not horror right like but it's but it's like a fun spooky oh it's fun spooky but like it and it's it, it's it's halloween themed like and that's that's where i tend to like my my october fest type stuff it's like ghostbusters uh nightmare before christmas Coraline. they're creepy you know they're kind of kooky um wednesday the series on netflix like that was a fun watch like yeah, that's that's the level of my stuff and it's funny because i don't think about things like uh underworld as horror films i think about them as like action adventure films with like a a a traditional i guess 50s monster theme you know werewolf frankenstein dracula that kind of stuff it's almost it's so old now that it's almost kind of a trope as opposed to being something really scary uh not that there can't be some scary stuff or some uh modern things with the vampires uh there was a netflix show midnight mass i think we talked about on oh the yes Siddle cafe and i guess that's the closest thing to a horror show that i've 
enjoyed. I, I want to say it had some shortcomings for me as well. I don't remember. I've talked about so many things on the show over the years, but that was something where like I watched it and I watched it because it was supposed to be scary and it was supposed to be like a, you know, horror kind of thing. And it came out on Netflix. I think it was around Halloween. It was, it wasn't Dracula, but it was definitely vampire-esque. And there was a lot of um, interesting religion overtones and that always I find interesting culturally, that kind of stuff. So there was some appeal to mm. that kind of thing. But like you, I'm not into gore porn. So like I don't, yeah. like the whole guts flying and people being chopped in half and like all that kind of stuff. I've seen some movies like that that are really disturbing over the time. And it's mostly like the group of guys want to go see it, like the cell with Jennifer Lopez. Um, that, that was pretty interesting. It was, it was like, interesting, it was, but it was disturbing. Like it, yes. you know, um, silence of the lambs, the silence of the lambs to me is a, is a scary thriller, but it's not necessarily yeah. a horror movie. And I think that's where I draw the line. Horror to me seems to have like the Jason, Freddy, you know, Chucky, uh, those kind of vibes. And I guess that's kind of like yeah. 80s horror, right? <laughs> something's possessed. Yeah, something's possessed <laughs> and coming from you. I think one of the only horror movies that I found really scary growing up was The Exorcist. I did find that really creepy. Um, mm. But other things like The Haunting of Bly Manor, I thought it was dumb. Like I was into it. It was a cool mystery. But then when they don't stick the ending or they drag it on forever and ever and ever, I just feel like I've wasted my time. I get invested in the yeah. first five episodes and then they just drop the ball from a writing standpoint and they just either fall into a horror trope or they just can't figure out how to end it. So they just do something stupid. And I'm just like, well, the really dumb endings is where I check out. Same thing with predictability. Like, oh, here's where the girl on the phone goes outside the cabin and dies. Surprise. <laughs> like Cabin in the Woods had some funny moments, but it was horribly predictable and uh lots of cheap jump scares like stuff like that i'm not really into i don't really enjoy that thing um mm. i would put alien in a sci-fi thriller category not really true horror it's a scary movie don't get me wrong but i feel like it's not really horror it's like sci-fi thriller for me and i think that there's a lot of films that kind of land in that i mean all of the alien series tend to land in that sci-fi thriller i would put underworld in like vampire werewolf thrillers you know action thrillers yeah. that kind of stuff same thing with seven mystery thrillers, uh, Hannibal Lecter and, and Silence of the Lambs. Like that's that's a mystery thriller, you know, whodunit, but also really creepy stuff like that. Then you enter into something that's a little bit more my speed, which is like Stranger Things. And that is probably the closest that I've come to modern horror because it pays tribute to modern horror, but it has its own thing. It has its own elements. There's a lot of nostalgia in there for 80s, 70s mm -hmm. and 80s kids. And it's more of a sci-fi adventure. It's like horror movie meets the goonies right for stranger things for right. a modern audience and so i think that's why that ghostbusters afterlife like all that kind of stuff appeals because they provide a story and an adventure with these really creepy concepts like possession or ghosts or demons and all this kind of stuff and real peril, like there's some, there's some moments in Stranger Things where like you don't know whether the main character is going to make it or not, like that kind of stuff. And and there's it's kind of gory, like when people die, they die horribly sometimes. And so yeah. that that I think is enough to put some weight behind the decision making in the plot and have you on the edge of your chair. I like that feeling. What I don't like is the feeling, like you said, of hopelessness. Uh, the feeling of that like no one in this show is good they're all 
Uh, like, for example, <laughs> The Walking Dead just brings out the worst in humanity, which is what the show is about. I'm, I'm saying that I'm aware of that. What I'm saying is that the show isn't for me. And I yes. remember feeling really anxious watching The Walking Dead and just with enough stress going on in my life at the time, I said, you know what? I'm out. I don't need to feel this worried and this anxious about a show. I have enough anxiety in my life at that moment in time to be like, I don't need more of this. I'm not feeling good. It's not edge of your seat Game of Thrones. It's edge yeah. of your seat in a different way. And in a way, I feel like zombies have been just been done so often. And as you mentioned, yeah. in so many different ways that I just roll my eyes at it. And I don't find them scary at all. It's 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 just the, it's just, it feels like they've just been so done that they're not, they're not really something that, I think, oh yeah, zombie movie, that'll be scary. It'll be like, well, yeah. <laughs> you're more interested in like, well, what's their take on zombies going to be this time? And how good are the special effects going to be? Like, that's kind of where I land. But I think that's true of some of the older, you know, classic monsters like Dracula, like Werewolf. Like, it takes a lot for a modern audience to be really freaked out by that stuff. Whereas yeah. I think that back in the 50s and 60s, like Dracula was terrifying to people. You know, Frankenstein's monster, terrifying. And I, I unfortunately feel like the trend now, because people are so desensitized by media that when you get into modern horror, it just gets really creepy or to the point where like, this is about a serial killer where like, they probably couldn't make this stuff up. This is probably a combination of case files that of people that actually exi exist. And I don't need to know that. <laughs> like, I just, I don't need to think about whether these people are actually out there sawing people in half, you know, like this just is not my not my bag. But uh, in terms of recommendations, I've already mentioned them. I think that some of the cooler, creepier things that you can get into are things like Coraline, Nightmare Before Christmas. So it's not going to be like horror, but it's more like creepy, that kind of stuff. Uh, but also look up stuff from uh, Del Toro. Guillermo Del Toro. Oh, yes. He does some really cool stuff. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth is a fantasy film, but it's got some scary moments for anybody that that you know, gets really swept up in it. Uh, it's Spanish, so there's subtitles. So unfortunately, you know, you're kind of trying to take in all the visuals while you're reading the screen at the same time. Uh, but I remember being blown away the first time I saw it. It's fairly violent as well, not just like monsters and stuff too. It's like, if I remember that one correctly, there's some... Uh, yes, oh yeah. Some human, human on human gory violence as well. Yeah, and that's why I checked out of The Walking Dead as well, is because the violence stopped being between the zombies and the people, and it stopped. Yeah. Being, it started being to, between the people and other people. But because they already had the license for crazy gore with the zombies eating people, they brought that across to the the interhuman violence. And I just, I was like, I don't. This looks too real. Like I don't need. Yeah. I don't need that that feeling. Like I would, as we will talk later. I would much rather have a lightsaber cut someone in half and call it a day like I, I don't need it to be you know blood and guts everywhere moving into the main discussion we are going to be wrapping up uh this season i think the entire series i i feel like there should be more but i, I wonder if it's going to be in other shows and other i guess versions of the media but we're going to be talking about star wars and soka again uh, we got through most of the first season on the last episode, but we're going to be talking about episodes six, seven, and eight. So I will give you plenty of spoiler warning here and now that if you mm -hmm. haven't seen those, there's going to be no way to talk about this without spoiling your experience. And I would highly encourage you to go watch the show. It's 100% worth it. So while you're frantically scrambling for your mute button or your fast forward button, I will mention that I did watch 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. That was one <laughs> of the films on the Paramount Plus docket that I wanted to check out. Really fun. Beautifully animated. Definitely kitty, but I I went in knowing from your warning, Stephen, that it was aimed at a yeah. younger audience. It moved away from the traditional turtles that I grew up with, but I don't think it did that in a bad way. I thought it was an interesting retelling. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw the through themes of like over controlling fathers and you know like the <laughs> like the the kids wanting to break out and stuff like that i really appreciated the diverse cast there was a lot of villains in in the cast that were traditionally uh male villains in the 80s cartoons that some of them were were female and there were some weird choices uh made uh the splinter stink bug thing was very bizarre to me yeah it just it, just... it was odd it, there was some it's like oh right south rogan produced this and wrote it that that yeah, that tracks <laughs> yeah here's the reminder that that happened <laughs> for the most part though very very funny well written i love the fact that the four turtles talk at the same time you really have to listen and there's a lot of jokes in there if you can catch them and I thought yeah. that was great. They reference everything. It's very modern. They reference TikTok. They just, they talk about, they're all about their phones. Like even just the scenes of the four of them hanging out at night and the glow from their screens and their faces, it just, it really felt like a modern cartoon. And I thought that was really, really good. Uh, and if you're paying attention in the voice role credits, it's all of Seth Rogen's friends <laughs> that voice the bad yeah. guys. Like it's, it's like Seth Rogen. It's a couple of wrestlers. Uh, Ice Cube was the main villain. Uh, Rose Byron is in it. Paul Rudd's in there too, isn't he? Paul Rudd's as Mondo Gecko. Like it was the really, the fun jab. I got a good chuckle about it. The credits was like introducing Paul Rudd <laughs> as Mondo <laughs> Gecko. And I didn't look it up, but my guess is that it's actually the first time he's done a voiceover maybe. Oh, maybe. Either that or it's just Seth Rogen just, you know, poking friend at a uh, fun at a friend, right? But yeah, so it was, it, that was good. Uh, and then I watched Transformers Rise of the Beast. And uh, that was entertaining, but ultimately disappointing. And that's too bad because the other offerings recently from Transformers have been good. Like I liked Bumblebee. Uh, they mm -hmm. referenced Bumblebee in this. Bumblebee is, is very similar in this to, than he was in, in, the, in the other film. Um, there's some rough, rough writing, especially around the climax where you're listening to the main characters essentially repeat themselves over and over again. It's like watching a Warner Brothers Arrowverse show. It's just every uh, time somebody walks on stream, they're just regurgitating the plot just in case you forgot during the commercial. Like it's, it's really rough in that way. Um, the effects were incredibly well done. There's some fantastic scenes. The Transformers, the Autobots were really cool. Lots of different sizes, which I really liked. Like RC, who's a bike, is this almost the size of a person. She's a little bit taller, but not by much. And then you've got someone like Prime, who's like the size of a truck. And so there's a lot of variation in there, which I thought was great. I feel like they dropped the ball from a creative perspective on mm. the the Predacons. So like there's the they're the super powered bad guys, but Scourge turns into a freaking tow truck. And it's all brown. Like it, he made Mater from cars look colorful. Like it's just, <laughs> you, you, it was the same problem that they had on Megatron in the first, in the first Transformers film where he was all gray, all one color and you couldn't see anything really. It was just a bunch of jumble, right? Whereas at least Prime and the Autobots, they have primary colors and they got the gray bits in between. So they, they look like robots. And then the yeah. bad guys in this, there was one guy I think that was some sort of wrecking machine, like a, a construction thing. And he was bright orange and that at least looked good. Uh, the female Predacon was a helicopter, I think, or something to that effect. And and she was also really cool. But yeah, like it just, they wasted the beast machines, like the Beast Wars characters. They were cool in the animal form, but as soon as they turned into robots, you barely got to see them. So there was this weird lack of payoff 
from it. Yeah. And a really dumb quote unquote Mega Man moment. I want to, I don't want to ruin it for anybody in terms of spoilers, but like there was a, a couple of things choice wise at the end that really did not make any sense. And hmm. a couple of characters that like they basically bring back so then it removes any real peril or any real pathos so like you're like well okay if nobody in the titles can die then what's the point like why like yeah. where's the risk and so unfortunately it was disappointing visually still very cool like it does what you would expect in that realm from a transformers movie um but yeah i think it was just like cool idea a lot of work went into the visuals but like poor execution and it felt casting wise the same way that the first one did you're like shia labeouf and megan fox were basically cast because of their looks and current stature in hollywood and i feel like the people that are in this they're they're okay actors but like they did not fit the roles that they played you know right. like some the guy the main guy is like a grizzled ex-marine or something like that and like he he doesn't he looks like he's 22 <laughs> like he's like it doesn't look like he's had enough life experience to have what the character is supposed to bring to the table. And the same thing with the woman in it. That's, that's a, like an archeologist or a postdoctorate student. And again, she looks like she's 21. She doesn't look like she's 30 in doing her doctorate. You know what I mean? Like she looks like really wet behind right. the ears and does not come across as, as the character, like she, as the, the character she's supposed to be playing. Still good actors, I think, just written into roles that they shouldn't have been. Now that you've all had enough time, we'll get into Ahsoka. <laughs> and um, I feel like I've been talking a hot minute. So I, I really want to get your thoughts on what's happening with Ahsoka. Because <laughs> as we mentioned last time, Steven has not seen episode three, has not seen the Clone Wars, and has not seen Rebels. So Ahsoka is just as far as the Mandalorian goes and any other kind of pop culture that's kind of filtered its way into your eye holes over the last little while. So as far yeah. as like where we get into act three, essentially for star Wars Ahsoka, like how were you feeling as you watched these last three episodes? Still thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying the season, but the, the more I watched it, the more I, I, I felt like the last three episodes, the things that would have probably seen as like high payoff moments for viewers the, they were not geared towards me. Like it, it was not created for somebody who is just coming into it now. Like the reunion between Ezra and Sabine. Like I didn't really care about it. Like I, I don't know. It just felt like if I had traveled to a planet to try to find somebody who was that important to me, like it would have been like tears and sobbing and like, running to them and just not letting go of them until the tear the well of tears just ran dry or whatever but it was just like Ezra I knew we were looking for him but I had never seen him before so it's kind of like this moment that they didn't really build up well enough so it didn't really there's nothing really that happened in the last few episodes that made me care about Ezra if that makes sense it's just like there's a lot of I don't know it just felt like for for me as somebody who's coming to it new that there was not much payoff with the main with the main good characters anyway. I thought I thought Morgan uh, Morgan Elizabeth's character was she was she was one of my favorite. I, th I felt like she was pretty interesting, although I, I kind of felt bad for her at the end. As Joel mentioned, we're getting into spoilers here, but you know she just she ascended to like 
a, a new level of being and then died 15 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> They're just these weird choices that it's like, okay, she started, I enjoy, I liked her character. I thought she was one of the more complex ones, but then just as she started to get really cool and badass, um, she's gone. She's just out of there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, I, I enjoyed it, especially the last episode. The last episode was basically one big sort of action sequence trying to get back to the ship. Uh, and I thought it was really well done. It was exciting. It was interesting and with cool special effects. For the most part, this, these, the special effects in this, this show has been quite good. Like, you know, with, with, the, with how CGI has been a little bit hit or miss lately on shows, I felt like they really nailed it. Except for one point when I saw, like the, uh, I forget what they're, the beasts running along. They didn't have the sort of the, the gallop of a horse. It was almost like they kind of bounced forward, landed on the front paws, then bounced backwards a little bit. It was almost like it just kind of did this like bunk, 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 little rocking back, back and forth motion when they showed them from a distance. It looked a little choppy, but I thought for the most part, everything else was well done. So you'll probably know a lot more about the nuances and like the different interactions being the between the characters and what this meant versus what that meant. But it was just, I don't know. I, I, I again, visually enjoyed it. It was, a, it felt like a decent wrap up to the, sh- the season, but it didn't really, like, it didn't really leave me caring a lot about the characters. Like even, um, oh shoot, what's his name? The, the, uh, the older gentleman. Balin? Balin. Like he was, he was probably my favorite, one of my favorite characters in the entire series season. But near the end, he just kind of get to this point where he's like, well, now this is where I leave you to, to go on your path or whatever will i go over here on my own path he's there and his fight sequences are cool but he's just like he's in the process of just going off <laughs> and in his purpose for me just felt like it was so vague like they didn't really get into what his 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 next chapter was going to be that he's just i'm left feeling not super interested in what's going to happen to him they just show him standing on this outstretched hand of a giant statue that looks exactly like him so it was just like this weird and as we mentioned in previous podcasts, or I've mentioned anyway, it's, it's easy to complain about something when you like it. And it just felt like there was all these little things that they just didn't gel. It could have made it feel like next level enjoyment. But yeah, sorry, that's just me being all rambly and ranty. Well, I think that there's a lot of accuracy to that. And one thing that you you picked up on that has absolutely nothing to do with other things you haven't seen is how poorly handled the reunions were in the show. Uh, mm. Sabine and Ezra... Uh, they're like best friends or they were yeah. in rebels uh, or brother, sister, like that kind of relationship uh, with same thing with, with Ahsoka and, and Ezra, they're supposed to be very close. And then when you have uh, at the end with uh, Hera and Ezra, uh, these are friends. That, oh, I know friends that have not seen one another for a long time. And I throw it up to the director that's absolutely dropping the ball and not understanding the characters or what a reunion should look like. You and I give each other a more heartfelt handshake when we see each other yeah. once a month when we go for burgers. Yeah, really awkward, really awkward long pauses. Um, the kind of thing that works in a lightsaber standoff between two Jedi feels very samurai. There's this posing and shifting of feet does not work with two people reuniting after, yeah. you know, 18 years or however long it's been. It sucked the wind out of some of the more important scenes. And I I think I really wanted more. Like, I really wanted that reunion. As someone that has seen Rebels and has seen Clone Wars and knows about these characters, I really wanted them to have a little bit more of a, holy crap, I can't believe you're here. The line from Ezra when Sabine first finds him where he says, it took you long enough, that's on par. Like, that's character. 
But what should have happened yeah. immediately after that was the thing that we get to see at the end of the Return of the Jedi, when all of our main characters finally arrive at the Ewok village and they're all celebrating and hugging because they won, you know, because yeah. Leia and Han are all there and they're not, sh they're not sure if Luke survived. They, they think he did, but then he finally shows up and everybody has a great big hug. And there's like, there's that shaking of hands and that shaking of, of the person going like, I can't believe we're alive, you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And that was missing from this reunion. And I, I really felt that they dropped the ball. They could have delivered much higher. Same thing with Hera and Ezra at the end. Uh, they mm -hmm. did pretty good with Ahsoka and Ezra in the middle. Ahsoka, like Ahsoka kind of has that vibe of being a little bit more calm. You don't really see her yeah. be jumpy and exuberant, um, especially as a Jedi. Once she's done with her training and what she's gone through this season, you don't really see her. She gets happy and smirky and... Um, I want to say full of herself, but if she's happy, she seems internally joyful, not externally joyful, if that makes sense. Mm. And so her hug with Ezra was pretty on par with her character. And I thought pretty good. But then there were yeah. other things about, about Sabine and Ezra where I was just like, what are they doing with the pacing? Because the third act of Ahsoka definitely has a change of tone with the introduction of Thrawn, uh, his cool collected mythology of yeah, going through great. things um like planned strategy and that works for thrawn but that writing pace seemed to translate to everything else and so like sabine is like avoiding telling ezra how she got there that she doesn't know how they're getting home she just came to find him she doesn't really have an exit strategy and it's like but you, he's gonna find out eventually like why yeah. are you creating this fake sense of drama or suspense between the two of them uh, because the audience already knows the answer. And that is, I think, where the pacing for Sabine and Ezra specifically really got convoluted. And we spent way too much time with these rolling shell people. I don't remember what they were, the little crab people. Yeah. Uh, they're cute. They're the, fun. The, you, know, the yeah. uh, you know, Ahsoka version of Ewoks. Like, it's fine. Um, it's Star Wars. I get it. Uh, but like you just spend so much time with them because there's nothing else to talk about strictly because the script just says, don't talk about the thing. <laughs> like, don't talk about yeah. the big thing that everybody wants you to talk about. Instead, let's talk nonsense with aliens that don't speak English. Like that kind of stuff I found really tedious. Um, but like that pacing and that kind of steady march forward really does work for Thrawn. Like, he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, super well cast, I mean, super well cast. Acting, voice, delivery, visually, they nailed it. Uh, they, I don't know whether they added something to his eyes later, whether there was a filter, whatever it was, but his, his red eyes were like, they looked like they were glowing. It wasn't just like red yeah. contact lenses. And it wasn't distracting in the same way that I found Hera's contacts to be. Um, I find that with, with Ahsoka, with Rosario Dawson, sometimes I find her blue contacts a little bit distracting. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes they look totally natural. It all depends on how mm -hmm. the light hits her. And um, I really enjoyed the way that they handled Thrawn because that's not easy. That's not easy to do at all. Uh, Lars Mikkelsen just completely knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah. I, Lars? Mads? I think that's Lars. I think I got it right. They're, they're, they're brothers. They both are actors. And, it's <laughs> and they've both been in Star Wars. Um, so I hope I got that right. Uh, Thrawn is a chess player. And what I like so much about him as a character, which you probably don't know, 
is that he removes pieces from both sides of the board as he sees fit. Hence, Morgan Elsbeth staying behind. He's like, I need you to buy us more time because Ahsoka's coming and you now have the power to stop her. And yeah, like, like I, I didn't see that coming when they gave Elsbeth the powers. I knew she was powered up to fight Ahsoka. Like I knew that was the reason she got the powers because they needed to bring her on the same level as Ahsoka because she didn't have a Mandalorian um, Beskar spear right anymore. So she needed right. something to to level her up with a Jedi. So they gave her force like witch powers essentially. And, and a cool version of a lightsaber. She had a flaming katana. Um, I found that a little convenient, you know, but it, I think it also leans into the actor's strength of like, you know, having martial arts training and using a sword and all that kind of stuff. And it made for mm. a fantastic final battle. Like as much as I agree with you that it's too bad that she, that Elsbeth is gone as a villain. Uh, talk about an epic fight that lasted. Yeah. 20 minutes like it was it really there was several different levels you know it was like a boss battle you know (laughs) like it it came and it went it came and it went so like that kind of stuff was really really cool um i i liked how they handled all of that and i feel like visually they really separated the first two acts from the third because of how like everything was kind of green like it was gray, but it was also green at the same time, which lines up with like the green smoky night sister magic, right? Like that's kind of where mm. it all felt like it was coming from. And I like that it had that kind of um, mossy or moldy, like everything sort of felt, I don't want to say wet, but it felt kind of sickly, if that makes any sense, visually, like mm. the color grading, like all of it. Uh, everything was muted, you know, the only time real color came on the screen was either Thrawn's eyes or his face or lightsaber. Everybody really felt kind of muted. Otherwise, even Ahsoka didn't feel very white in her robes. It was all kind of gray, you know? Yeah. And I thought that was really well handled. Um, I think that the different fights that we saw through the lightsabers, they really kind of stopped the show in a way that I'm glad that they did it. Like I, when a Star Wars show says, okay, it's lightsaber battle time. We're not going to just show you three swings and then cut away to something else that you care about, but are really not interested in seeing right now because you know, two people have lightsabers lit up. What I really appreciated about this show in general, this is true of the whole thing, not just the last three episodes is the staging that they did for the lightsaber fights. And they stayed on it until those characters, either one of them died, one of them lost or there was just a separation of ways. Like they just, they stayed on that fight until the end. I really liked the confrontation between Ahsoka and Balin Skull um, in that it wasn't a fight to the death. It was, his mission was to delay her. That's what Thrawn wanted. He wanted to slow her down uh, and not to waste time doing anything else. But, and then Ahsoka realized that he was toying with her and she basically orchestrated an opportunity to escape. She didn't have to kill yeah. him. She didn't stay until he died, which leaves him open to do other things as a character. Uh, but then uh, it really kind of brought an end to that confrontation. And I think showed us a side of Bale and Skull where like, he was like, huh? So she didn't, she realized that she didn't have to stay. And he kind of says, you know, 
I'll let you go on your path. My path lies elsewhere kind of idea. The same thing that he said to, to um, Hattie, um, his, yeah. his apprentice. And I like where they're going with him because as a fallen Jedi, he has this mm, pathos to him where he seems to know more about what's going on. And he, as much as he'll play into Thrawn's plan, help him, you know, get the armor that he wants for um, returning to the other galaxy and, and, you know, long live the empire, all that stuff. He'll stamp his boots and, you know, pound his chest and say <laughs> heir to the empire as much as he wants. But he's also willing to just like let Thrawn get what he wants because Balin's got other plans or he's here for a higher calling. We don't know what that is, um, but he, he, he is for there for a higher calling. And you don't know this because you haven't watched Clone Wars, but there are a number of force wielding entities that have been introduced to Star Wars over the years that are not Jedi and they're not Sith. Okay. Um, the statue that Balin Skull is standing on is actually a statue of the father who was a powerful force wielder who resided in the realm of Mortis and he had two children, a daughter and a son that represent the light side and the dark side of the force respectively and balance was maintained um, between them by the father until his failing health compelled him to search for a successor that's all i remember there was a conversation with um the father and anakin skywalker i believe it was in the realm the world between worlds like that blue place where ahsoka and anakin talked um right but i don't remember all the details Essentially, though, accessing the father and having wider conversations about the force are things that are reserved for very powerful Jedi. Hence, Anakin Skywalker, you know, being able to converse with him in the Clone Wars. And so Balin Skull, having, you know, talked about hearing um, tales of the Dathomir and the, the Night Sisters and stuff like that in like bedtime stories in the Jedi Temple now he's standing mm. in a bedtime story going like this place exists does that mean the father and the daughter and the son exist and i could be getting this wrong i should have looked this up before the show but i believe the daughter is um an entity that has shown herself to ahsoka i'm pretty sure that that's the white owl that we saw in the season finale that appeared to ahsoka all right. And if you rem if you look closely, the white owl was also present in the forest in Mando season two when Ahsoka meets Grogu and Dinjarin. There's a white owl in the tree. And so the white owl usually indicates to Ahsoka that she's on the right path. Um, I don't know that there's been hmm. like a conversation between the daughter and Ahsoka or whether she just knows of that maybe through Anakin. And then just knows that that represents a sign that she should follow the light. Like follow the light. If you're worried about where you're going, here's some reassurance from the force that you're actually on the right path. And she says right. that as much to Sabine in the final episode. She's like, we are where we're supposed to be, essentially. Right. right. So yeah, there's there are hmm. some things. You are right that there's a lot more in the last three episodes that are more rewarding for rebels and clone wars fans than for people coming in raw and and not really knowing um like i thought ezra was great uh he looks the part he acts the part he's an adult 
wielding the force, but he's also a wisecracking 13 year old kid at heart, mm-hmm. you know, and you saw yeah. that with like, are we shoot? Don't shoot. Maybe take us as prisoners. Like there's all these kind of fun kind of chit chat lines that you'd expect from like a Han Solo type. And that's very much how he talks himself out of predicaments, you know, in, in the, the rebel show, because like he's young, he's young, he's a pre-teenager, you know, like he just, he gets himself right. held up at gunpoint and he just kind of starts to babble because he's scared. Right. And so that kind of stuff they brought forward. What did you think of um, the cameos that we got? Uh, we saw C-3PO. Oh, that was good. It's always neat when they bring uh, either C-3PO or R2-D2 back. Enjoyed that. Yeah. I uh, I thought it was a really good way to handle a message from Leia Organa. And I'm glad they didn't do like CG Leia. Yeah. Coming into a council meeting. You know, like I think that's a very clever way of you know, relaying a message because C-3PO, of course, is like a recognized droid and is, you know, I think I can't remember what he said he was, but he's like, you know, consulate to the to the senator sort of deal. So um, everyone understands that his word is her word sort of deal. And it it really made a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I also like that scene where Hera basically told Senator Ziono dickhead that I didn't ignore orders. I just ignored you. <laughs> like you can, you can hear the rest of the, you know, this, they didn't say anything, but you can oh, yeah. almost hear the audible. Ooh, from all the other yeah. senators. Like this is all that was missing was an O snap. Yeah, exactly. I, I liked, I like Hera a lot. Actually. I like the way that they, they wrote the character. Didn't use her much in the last three episodes. Cause we were essentially in the other galaxy for all of it. Yeah. Thought that the cinematography was also fantastic. Um, from an art perspective and from a fan of just the star Wars universe, like the shot of the chimera coming into that night sister tower, this giant star destroyer lowering its, its yeah. shuttle bay down over this thing and like walking right out to it, like Thrawn's entrance through the, the, the troopers. And, um, you don't know this about Thrawn, but his appreciation for art and culture mm-hmm. is one of the things that he uses to his advantage when he's trying to, take down an enemy and understand it. And there is this cool juxtaposition with the way that the chimera looks and the way that the stormtroopers look. I think they're called night troopers. And it's reminiscent of Japanese kitsugi pottery where something that's broken is repaired and inlaid with gold. Oh, right. So you can see that on the, on the chimera. You can see it on the stormtrooper armor and uh a few other things around and i just i love that they brought that into all of the visuals and you know when you take that combined with these sweeping shots of like huge things next to really tall skinny things or um seeing the scale of ahsoka and ezra and sabine galloping across this field towards the the night sister tower at the end and they just decide to open up the underside of the star destroyer and just bombard you know the ground like rain fire you can't hit them because they're just so small and uh just really really epic sweeping shots like that i thought were really really good and i didn't notice the thing with the the bat dog horse mounts i thought they all looked good there's only there's only one point when it was sort of from a distance and a side view when it, and it had, when it showed them running from behind, they nailed it most of the time. But there's just one point I went, oh, that's that's weird, and I sort of left it at that because it was fine afterwards. So for me, I think overall the payoff was I realized I think after about episode five 
where we hadn't yet seen Thrawn, that six, seven, and eight were going to be where we got got to that point. But I was like, I don't see them even after episode six, definitely after episode seven. But after episode six, I was like, they're not going to tie up everything in the next two episodes. They just can't. Yeah, Thrawn is obviously going to get away because like you don't bring back Thrawn for three episodes of Ahsoka and kill him. <laughs> you know, like that's not yeah. happening. Of a TV of a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's he's a film level villain, right? And yeah. and I think that this is very much a setup. Like the whole season of Ahsoka is an in between. It's like a, this is setting up the next phase of what they're doing with Star Wars. And so I kind of knew going into the final episodes that it wasn't going to resolve. And I think that's why I really like what's happening with Balin and why. I think it's brilliant how they wrapped it up with Ahsoka and Sabine. Like the fact that Sabine stayed behind, she made the right decision, yeah. helped save her master. They're now stuck there in this alternate galaxy uh, or not alternate, but like another galaxy doing their own thing. But what's brilliant about that from a writing perspective from outside of, you know, the actual show is that now the adventures of Sabine and Ahsoka can be whatever they want and it will not affect the main Star Wars timeline at all true right and i feel like feloni is is writing at and wanting to do more with the force in general not just sith jedi conflicts not just skywalker saga like really wants to say like okay what are some of the grayer areas that we can get into and there's a hint towards that where uh thrawn is speaking to ahsoka over the radio at the end of the the show before he um takes off into hyperspace with a giant hyperspace ring, which is still super cool. Uh, yeah. And he calls her a Ronin and it's because she's not a Jedi, you know, like, or at least not technically. And she has the same code, but she didn't really complete that tree of, of training in the, in the traditional Jedi way. And she'll still make decisions outside of the Jedi code, depending on what she feels is right or wrong. And I really like that idea of, having this kind of play out in another galaxy where it gives Dave Filoni a lot of freedom to do other stuff, explore things like the father, the son, the daughter, um, whatever Balin is up to, whatever um, Hattie is going to do with her band of, of um, uh, rebels, not rebels, um, pirates or, you know, mm. um, riffraff that she picked up on the planes and, see what happens there because there was a moment where ahsoka said you know come with me i can help you because i know yeah. that balan has abandoned you and you're still a student and you could see a moment of hesitation with with her and she almost went with with ahsoka but like she took the easy choice right like the quick road to power she wants to be the leader so she's going to go to the lesser beings that she can rule you know, and lead uh, with an iron fist, so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, and then I think the end with Ahsoka and Sabine kind of looking off into the distance, it was a really cool payoff to have, I think I mentioned the owl already, but to have Sabine, who we now know can can wield the force, like she's able to move the lightsaber, she was able to push Ezra and, and get him onto the Star Destroyer, uh, so she has connected with the force. She just gets this feeling and she's kind of looking off into space. It's very, or into the distance. It's very similar to uh, Luke Skywalker at the homestead on Tatooine looking at the two sons. 
Uh, although there's no two sons. I'm glad they didn't like really make it too obvious. Um, but she has a feeling she backs away and then Ahsoka takes a moment and Ahsoka notices something. I don't think she sees anything with her eyes, but she feels something because she does that little smirk hmm. and then she turns away. And then we see Anakin Skywalker as a force ghost standing there smiling, knowing that what he taught her in the world between worlds has stuck and that he's now happy that she's on this path, which again, because I know that Anakin talked to the father in Clone Wars makes me think even more that Ahsoka and Balin are going to cross paths again at some point. And I'm a little confused as to why this is just one season. Like I, I don't know how they take all of what I want to see and put it in a single film. I, I could have swore that that it used to say that it was a mini series or a limited series, but now it says, uh, and now it says TV series. I think it says on IMDb, like it's, it's changed what they call it now. It's just, it's open-ended right now. It's this 2023 and it's still open. So they may have changed their mind. But. Maybe. I hope they did because I'm pretty sure like you, it said limited series, but now it says season one on Disney Plus. Yeah. I noticed that, right? Because I, I love watching the credits. The uh, the music for Ahsoka is fantastic. And I, I love listening to it. Like it's a nice kind of like moment to reflect on what I just watched and let it all kind of soak in. And when it went back to the Disney Plus menu, it was like, season one i don't remember it saying season one before <laughs> like i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. it said limited you know a uh, a uh, 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 mini series or limited series you'll see that a lot too in the same way that uh, obi-wan says that obi-wan says limited limited series the only other point that i i don't want to forget is asking you about thrawn like I, I know that you're new to the character but as far as a villain goes and as far as like his his methodology did did you feel like you were missing something or do you feel like what they gave you in ahsoka was enough to kind of wet your whistle and want to see more or did you feel like in the same way that you felt these other characters were like this is happening above my pay grade like i don't know what's going on did you feel like that way about thrawn or was a little bit more of a home run well mostly it's because of the i think the, the character was cool but i think the actor just was imposing and calmly menacing the entire time like they they were they were interesting right, right away. Mm. And, and just the way that they walked around slowly and engaged in like pretty intense eye contact with everyone. Every moment about Thrawn felt like they were, you know, it's business. Like everything is business time right now. I I don't feel like any time with Thrawn was wasted. So even though I feel like I, I got to know enough about Thrawn to know that like, like you, he was going to be the big bad in like whatever the next big the next star wars thing is going to be like he like you said he's like movie level villain and so i i just fully as it was as i was getting to know him better i fully assumed that he was going to be what i forget and i'm probably going to mess this up a little bit but there's supposed to be like that the culmination movie or a couple of movies between isn't it between ahsoka mandalorian and and boba fett i don't think they have a title for it but yeah it's the mandalorian ahsoka movie essentially and it's yeah. going to be directed by Dave Filoni, but I don't think they have a name for it yet. They're just calling it like yeah. the Dave Filoni film or the the Mandalorian yeah. film, whatever they're they're calling it. But yeah, that's the, the all roads are leading to that, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope and expect at this point that that's going to be a very, very cool, at the very least, very visually cool payoff. My favorite moment from Thrawn 
uh, and what I think illustrates why he's such a good villain and, and why he's such a good um, like multi film or multi property villain for Star Wars is because he's been around for so long because he was one of the survivors of the old empire and mm. he there's a moment when they realize that Balin failed to kill Ahsoka and he wants research. So he tells Morgan Elsbeth to find out everything she can about Ahsoka. And she comes back and just casually mentions that Ahsoka's master was Anakin Skywalker. To which Thrawn <laughs> pauses. There's some reservation there. It's almost yeah. fear, but it's certainly respect. Uh, yeah. Because he realizes who Ahsoka's former master was. And he would have fought against Skywalker at some point. Um, but what's interesting, and I know this only because of third party comments about the books that have come out about Thrawn that are now canon. Uh, but it makes sense in that Thrawn was also around long enough to fight alongside or deal with Vader. And mm. from what I can tell, and I don't know for sure, so there's no spoilers here, but I think that without ever having it being confirmed to him that Thrawn had his suspicions that uh, Vader and Anakin were the same person. And I think in one of the books that came out recently, there's this confrontation or meeting between Thrawn and Vader and he's asking Vader questions, like leading questions, trying to get like information to see if there's any, like see if he can kind of pull something out, some past, you know, moment that he can realize oh we were both here at the same time but it was anakin at mm. the time not vader anyway i don't know if it was ever confirmed but because he has those suspicions he immediately kind of goes oh oh <laughs> yeah. we, i need to that's going to change the strategy of dealing with ahsoka tano greatly because if she was trained by anakin who you know is as powerful as he knows him to be then i've got that's a real adversary that i cannot underestimate and, yeah. and I think that that was, for me, a really telling moment. And what I think makes Thrawn such a good villain for getting back into the main Star Wars timeline is that even though that movie that he's in doesn't have to have a Skywalker in it, the fact that Thrawn has crossed paths with one, uh, I think, is, is an excellent sort of... Um, mm -hmm tie-in like it brings some f some familiarity and some respect to the skywalker saga but it doesn't mean that you have to then take the baton and run in the same direction like you can do your own thing i just i love that moment of reverence when skywalker is mentioned and i think that that just it's just enough for fans to go like yeah he knows and then on <laughs> we go to whatever story they're going to tell and so uh yeah i i really really enjoyed it i i feel like knowing what i know now about all of ahsoka that they could have sped up the first couple of episodes i think it could have been a little bit faster uh because boy the last three just whipped by like they were just you know uh yeah lots going on and so it felt a little bit lopsided but other than that um i would highly recommend it um i i think that people if you have time go watch at least rebels more accessible than clone wars but you know if you can Try that. There's also, like I mentioned before, a small character synopsis of Ahsoka on Disney Plus. Oh, right. Uh, you can also go to uh, Wikipedia if you want to get like the Coles notes. Um, very often, Wikipedia will like, hey, here's this character. And if you want all the key moments, like you can go watch these three episodes of this season and those four episodes of that season, and you'll get the gist of, of what's going on.
Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you get value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server shared with my personal Discord and access to the Bristol Cut bonus audio sessions, which now potentially will include live recordings. We're giving it a go tonight. If you are enjoying it, let me know in the chat and we will see you hopefully on the next episode. Special thanks to Bean Counter Patrons Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you ever so much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 28, which is down one from our last episode at 29. There's always room for more. If you'd like to support the Citadel Cafe and become patron number 29, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Stephen, what is your pick this week? My pick is something called Miniature Wonderland. Uh, one of my... Uh colleagues at work just on a phone call they doing um video chats for meetings and they spotted my lego behind me <laughs> they said oh those models are cool so i said they're lego and then they said oh you should check out miniaturewonderland.com and so i didn't know what that was but it's uh, uh the link's going to be in the show notes so it's it's i think it's german spelling for miniature wonderland um but essentially it's the world's largest model railway is what they kind of describe it as but it's not it's it's not just a railway like it's got an airport where planes go along the runway and they all, like it's everything's automated so they've got plan, planes that will move up to the runway wait for one to pass by and then another one come in behind it there's like thousands of cars so many buildings they put into it i think there's like over almost 1400 led lights or something or uh, different turn signals there's uh, hundreds of thousands of LED lights, including including street lights and plane lights and train lights. It's just, it's it's wild the amount of effort that's been put into this thing. So I've I've sort of I've had a look at it and I've I've lost <laughs> a good chunk of time to it already, but haven't I don't even feel like I've cracked the surface because they've got I think five or six different themed areas, like one that's specifically Germany and then another one that's a different region, and it's just it is so detailed. It's uh very very thorough and uh, i was thoroughly impressed by it so that's my pick for the week this is wild man yeah like especially the the macro photography that they're doing so it, like for a minute it looked like that looks like a plane being loaded and it's like wait a minute those are tiny like why it looked because it looks like real size because of the lens and the and the lighting and the the tilt shift photography and stuff and you're like that's a model what am i looking at yeah wild and the detail in the background as well so it's not like you're just looking at this yeah oh, there's a table that's got trains on it and you go nope there's hillscape mm-hmm. oh there are trees looks there are mountains in the background too the effort put into it is fantastic the nighttime shots are just mind-blowing like any kind of dusk yeah. or, or evening or or things like that like just and especially because of all the european stuff it just everything looks so old it has a sense of history there's layers you know you've got aqueducts and then you've got trains and you've got like you said mountains and cliffs and then you've got um like gondolas and canals and things that are like stone and you know old as the hills and then you've got all this other stuff happening like just absolutely wild it reminds me i feel like this was something i don't know whether this was on the sigil cafe or whether it was on comics coast to coast but it was very similar it was like a norwegian christmas village i think it was the sigil cafe same idea oh, yeah. as a smaller model. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like this scale, but it was certainly large for a Christmas village, but same idea, same level of detail, snow everywhere, lights everywhere, 
moving merry-go-rounds and ferris wheels and santa's little village and like all that kind of stuff i'll see if i can dig up the link for the show notes later but yeah Hmm. very very cool stuff that's amazing sticking with the star wars theme i would be remiss having you on the show and not mentioning the (laughs) venator class republic attack cruiser you would probably not be familiar with this model if you haven't watched clone wars but this is essentially the predecessor to the star destroyer this is kind of the the baby um, that turned into the Star Destroyer later on. And uh, it is a new set from Lego, 75357, 5,374 pieces, 13 inches high, 22 inches wide, and 43 inches long. That's nearly four oh feet long, <laughs> just over a meter. Uh, retails, unfortunately, for $850 Canadian. Woof. <laughs> like, when you can, when you, can, you know, when it rivals small bedroom apartments, like that's a lot, yeah. right? Um, it's a got a fantastic look to it. It's I yeah, love it modern Lego Star Wars because they have a really great plate to stud finish ratio. Uh, it really feels like a model, not just a Lego set, which I really like. And it has a lot of detail. Uh, it's not a minifig scale because if it was minifig scale, it would be freaking massive. Like it would be the size of a car. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there is a really good sense of scale. If you see it next to a person, I believe it was on Instagram. My buddy, Chad sent me a link to it and I had just seen the ad on Instagram. And in that ad, there's a human standing with it and you're like, oh crap, like that's really big. You know, uh, it's a really big piece of kit. You'd need a room for it. Like you need dedicated room or a coffee table glass case that you could stick it in because there's no, like, I don't know where you would put it otherwise. Um, I would love to see this lit up. It's only been up for, you know, a day or two. So sooner or later, those aftermarket LED kits are going to get a hold of it and come up with some really cool pictures, I think. Because uh, a lot of times Lego puts out these sets to people to make them and then review them on YouTube and stuff. So they've had them for a little while. So wow. I'm looking forward to that. But it's wild. And I believe it's the 20th anniversary of Clone Wars is why they've released this. I think that I saw 20 years. Yeah. Since the, since the first season, not the end, because the end was only a few years ago because there's a huge wow. gap between season six and seven. Um, yeah. 20 years of Clone Wars uh, adventures is what they're they're touting on the Lego website. I love the the shuttle bay and the the small little like uh, micro scale shuttle that they've got in the shuttle bay. Um, it's hard to tell when they've got people in marketing photos because like they're not moving and you don't know how tall that guy is. Like, is he a six foot five guy or is he a four or is he five foot five, you know? Um, But yeah, really, really uh, cool set. Just absolutely massive. I've seen the other Star Destroyers and because the Star Destroyers are bigger than this, when they squish them down to this scale, they still feel kind of like miniature, you know? Even though they're Mm. still big models. It's because of the proportions? Yeah, but then this, because it's like a small cruiser but because it's four feet long they just were able to to really dial in on the form factor and the details like all the different angles leading up to the double bridge like it's super cool it's not just like one there's like four layers of different angles that go up to it and it looks just like what i remember from the show and so very very cool stuff well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that we've talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. 
Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email the show at thecitadelcafe.com, just like Lord Valor. And you can, of course, find the show by name on social media. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and on your favorite podcast app. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. It's free to just tell a friend about Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I'm doing online, including links to things that I'm up to at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my Spawn Chunks podcast with Pixel Riffs, all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. And I'm Joel Duggan on social media, as well as on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday. Lego is Fridays. I'm working on the UCS X-Wing Starfighter, which is not a small kit either. So that's been a lot of fun. And the rest of the time I'm working on Westill on the Citadel server. Steven, where can people find you online? Usually on Twitch. Uh, I've been taking a little bit of a break from there with the hopes of getting back. So uh, twitch.tv slash stevenese. Again, that's Steven with a PH. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.